Well, we are in the middle of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and last week we saw the Corinthian church, how much they are like the United States, and we saw them suing each other. Uh, we started talking about uh, sexuality and what the Bible says about it, and we're going to pick right off where we left off, uh, because Paul is going to continue to go down this line of thought as the Holy Spirit is working on him to to share with the Corinthians, and to bring them back. That, that culture there was given over and at many times dedicated to sexuality. And we talked about Corinth, and when we started our introduction, we saw the temple to Aphrodite there in the old, temp- the old city. Uh, we saw that they are uh, having prostitutes as a part of religious worship, that they had a, a very sensual culture. And in the last few weeks, we talked about Rome itself. We talked about Nero, what his lifestyle was like, how, how debaucherous it was. Things that we think are only modern things, things that we think are only happening today, we see that nothing is new under the sun, what the Bible says, and that the Bible has been speaking about these things and speaking against them and then also bringing us life and redemption this whole time. Nothing's new. And so the Lord's going to equip us this morning in how to engage in our culture the same way that Paul engaged the Corinthians to make changes in theirs. And then we're going to see how we personally struggle with different sins and how the Bible and the Word of God gives us, through the Holy Spirit, the power to overcome those things through Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning as we jump into verse 12. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you're doing all you're continuing to do, and all that you have done, Lord. You're so faithful. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I'm so grateful that your word is everlasting without change. And it is thoroughly capable of equipping us to engage this world, to engage this culture, to speak against these lies that are being just thrown at us, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to teach us where we're at with our daily struggles and the things we're going through in our families and that we would continue to see you glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start with just verse 12 of chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What was happening in the Corinthian church or in Corinth, when they heard all things are lawful for me, they stopped right there, and so they experienced grace to the extreme. You had other areas, other churches in that time frame, like the churches in Galatia, that were struggling with religious law. And the Judaizers had come up from Jerusalem, and at that time in Galatia, which is like modern-day Turkey, they were coming and they were telling you, if you don't follow all these different rituals, all these different rites, all these different feast days, all these different habits, you, you don't love God and God doesn't love you, that you're sinful. You have to follow all those things. The Corinthians had no such problems. They were, all things are lawful for me. So if they had a temptation, if they had a desire, why fight it? Just go for it. I'm saved anyway. What's going to happen? I'm not going to be condemned. Jesus died for me. And so we have this other problem. And Paul is commending them in one way. Yes, as a Christian, all things are lawful. There is nothing that you are going to do that is going to condemn you to hell except for not accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, to reject salvation. But that being said, Paul says, but all things are not helpful. All things are not helpful. I will not, he says at the end of this verse, be brought under the power of any. Now, this is important for us as Christians because in our society today, there will be people that will come to you and be like, well, Christians hate gays. They hate homosexuals. They hate transgender. They hate anyone that's not a Christian. They hate Muslims. They hate Hindus. They hate atheists. You guys just hate everybody. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, we may have biblical principles as a Christian, and you may say, you know, homosexuality is a sin. You shouldn't do it. Oh, you just hate us. That's my nature. Do you think I pick to be this way? You think I choose to be this way? I don't want to be this way. This is just who I am. Therefore, it is okay. And if you're not equipped, you may scratch your head. I was like, I guess they're right. I mean, if they can't change, and that's how God made them, then I guess that I'm stuck. What do I do now? And many Christians are backpedaling because they've begun to take some of the foundation stones out of their faith. So if you have a wall, if you have a fortress, if you have a house, and you take the footer, the footer for you non-construction people out there, that's the, the concrete underneath that wall, and you take big gaps of it out, what happens to that wall? It collapses. And many people's defense of the Bible does the same. They they have taken out a key fundamental, which is we are all, all of us, fallen creatures. We are not what we are supposed to be. God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and they sinned, and they fell. And now everyone, every human being that's ever been born, is born with a fallen nature. Is there anything in life where we would just follow our feelings and that makes it right. For example, you may have a feeling to murder someone. You may have a natural bent to want to destroy something when you're upset. Is that okay? Well, that's my nature. That's just who I am. You, have, you may have a nature to be rebellious. No matter how good the authority is in your life. Let's take something funny like the HOA, <laughs> the regime. Does anyone here like their regime? There we are every month. But what happens when the neighbor does something wrong with the regime? Sick them. That's what I pay them for. Get them. But when you get the notice, what do you do? Rebellion in our hearts. Well, I I guess we should just all be rebellious. That's our nature. That's just how God made us. What about our appetites? Who here actually desires food that is healthy for you? Well, that's just natural. That's just who we are. That's just how we're bent. We should just eat cheeseburgers and Haagen-Dazs 24-7 or fill in your ice cream. Some are nodding. Some are upset with me. Just take the symbolism, okay? See, there's, there's nothing in our nature where we just say, well, that's just naturally who I am. That's just who, that's the way it should be. My impulses should divide us. Well, the thing is, that's what the Corinthians believed as well. They thought, well, I just have an appetite. I'm just going to fill it because all things are lawful for me. I'm not going to be condemned by God. So what does it matter? Paul is saying, no, 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 no. So let's go back and let's put that foundation stone. Let's put that that primer back there. Let's go back and refill in the footer. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that, yes, People do have this 
tendency. They do have urges that are against the law of God. The Bible says in Romans 1.24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged a natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So the, the Bible is telling us clearly in Romans chapter 1 that, yes, there are people that are given over to these passions. They're given over. They may have a genetic bend. They may have a social bend. Like the, we're seeing that more now where you have young kids who are being read books by people that are multigender in the library and being told that this is good. California public schools, especially in Orange County, they started indoctrinating kids as young as kindergarten to say that uh, same-sex couples is normal, um, transgenderism is normal. And so we're beginning now to see more social pressure as on top of people that may have a genetic bend. And we can say these things without hesitation that they're wrong because nothing is new under the sun. This was very prevalent in Roman times in the first century, very prevalent in Greek times. You can, you can talk to veterans today in Afghanistan. There are cultures where they put makeup on young boys and they are abused by men. That is prevalent at that time at this time today, and it's been that way since ancient times. You could even, if you're a real history nerd, follow some of those chains of history back to when Alexander the Great defeated them in pre-Christ times. And you could see that these things, they come back and forth, and we say to ourselves, wow, this is new. This is, this is nothing that we've ever experienced before. How do we challenge it? The culture to which this is written to which Romans is written, to which Corinthians is written, is far worse and far more backslidden from the Bible principles than we are today. So have hope. This is, this is where the gospel took off, was in this culture, where pedophilia, sex slavery, uh, multi-styles of sexuality was prevalent from the emperor on down. And that's where the gospel took off and under oppression. All we do is get mocked on Twitter or Facebook, or maybe your coworkers criticize you, and you say, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Imagine Caesar Nero burning down Washington, D.C. for the fun of it, and then blaming the Jews and the Christians. That's the time frame in which this is written. No, Christ will be victorious. The word of God remains the same 2,000 years ago, nothing new under the sun. I want it to be crystal clear, however, that even though people come from different backgrounds, different lifestyles, even going into the, if the Lord tarries the next 10 years, the next 25 years, I don't know which way it's going to go in our culture. There could be a great revival. There could be a great backsliding. I don't know. But I do know this. The power of the gospel will remain the same. The Bible will remain the same. 
And if it does continue to backslide, we'll have more and more people coming out of those cultures, coming out of those backgrounds, coming out of those desires, maybe still struggling with those desires. I mean, I make light of a few different things. I like to pick things that are a little bit easier, and then sometimes I like to pick the hard ones. Let's pick an easy one, like my diet. That is just so easy to mock. People that are close to me know I am the yo-yo dieter king because I'm either 100% off or 100% on. And you guys see it up here. I mean, I can't hide it. I can only wear a black shirt so many times. But the desire versus the discipline. Yes, there's a struggle in these things. But when we take something that's a little bit deeper, a little bit more difficult, and we say, well, we just got to give over to it. No, no, no. Remember the last sermon? Remember the previous verse right before verse 12? What did it say in verse 11? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I don't hate anyone. I had to pause there for a second because I was thinking about some, you know, very, very dark, evil people. I thought, well, maybe I do. A righteous anger about things. But when we talk about people and problems and sin or even people that disagree with me, we don't hate them. We don't, we don't hate them. We don't want them destroyed. We want to see them converted. We want to see their best for them. If I yell at my child for trying to stick a fork in, in the electrical socket, they say, oh, that's just, that's just terrible. Are you going to hit your child? You must hate them. Get, get child protective services out here. You can't touch your child. Well, what am I going to do? Explain his feelings to him and what's going to happen when he electrocutes himself and I'm taking him to the hospital? No, I have too much love to just say, well, just it's okay. It's his nature. It's his nature to explore. We're going to let our little kids decide if they want to put their hands in, in light sockets. But no, our culture tells us it's okay that if they feel like they have gender dysphoria for a day, to let them have electric, uh, uh, elective surgery, to let them have gender blockers, or um, excuse me, puberty blockers. We let them decide their sexual orientation. They don't even know what genders are. And yet we're already indoctrinating them at a young age. And then anyone who says, no, this is wrong, they say you're a hate-filled bigot. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I can say that from texts like this that come in a culture that was far worse than it is today and say enough is enough. But for us as Christians, if you are struggling with these things, if you are struggling with these thoughts, Christ has given you victory with the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean the struggle is not there for some. For some, the Lord will supernaturally take it and you won't have that desire again. For others, you will struggle. I don't know why... It's just, he's sovereign. He does, he's in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. When I gave my life to Christ as a young man, I was already drinking. I was sneaking out. I was going to parties. And when I gave my life to the Lord, I just quit. I just forgot to do it. I was just so enamored with it. The problem was I was already smoking tobacco at that time. Mom, you can go. You don't have to be in here right now. Your mom's here today. And I couldn't quit smoking. Why was it that the Lord delivered me from one thing in an instant, and then in another, I struggled. Lord, why don't you deliver me from the cheeseburger? I mean, I look at that thing, and it calls my name. It sings to me. Why is that? I don't know. But the Bible does tell us to hold every thought captive. And in Galatians, it says, God is not mocked. 
that as you sow, that shall you also reap. I want you to know that we're in the struggle with you, that we will pray together, we will intercede together. Some of it does require discipline, mental discipline, resisting temptation. In some areas, it requires a little bit more. Sometimes it requires supernatural intervention. Sometimes you're going to backslide. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes. But we are going to fight this good fight of faith together. But at the same time, when we have grace in these areas, we want to be reminded that we're not under the law. We're not under a stigma that if you have to keep, if you don't come to church on Christmas, then you're not saved. No, that's not the way it works. Somebody's got to man the hospital. Somebody's got to be on the police patrol. What about Easter? What about Sunday morning services? What are, you know, you've got to do these things. You've got to read your Bible every day. You're not saying, no, 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 no. Remember, Paul told the Colossians in chapter 2, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. We are to have a personal living relationship with Jesus, and he will continue to change us and mold us through sanctification. The Corinthians took verses like Colossians, or at least the teaching of it, depending on its time frame, and they went to the extreme of grace. Well, like Paul would address the Romans, I'll just sin more, that grace can abound. But they were coming under captivity. They were becoming, pa- uh, they were becoming captive to their own desires. It is not a good idea when you're cut off on 278, to ram that vehicle off the side of the road. I don't care what your impulses are. I don't care what you're feeling in that moment. Don't do it. Well, we should not be given over to just our impulses and desires, even if it is, quote, unquote, natural. Because we want to engage the sermon in a culture war. That it just happens to be the text. It's far deeper than just a culture war. It's a sin war. It's a fallen nature war. Jesus told us that if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. And that sin's punishment is death, just the same as a homosexual act is. Any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman is pornea, the Greek word for sexual immorality, sinful. Pornography thoughts, flirting with other women with the desire, or men, young ladies, you don't get out of it. Old ladies, you don't get out of it either. All of it, we need to have discipline. But why is that a big deal? Why is this important? I mean, we live in a culture now of the past, the sexual liberation of the 1970s. Listen, 60s and 70s, that's not sexual liberation. That's sexual enslavement. Because now everyone is being pressured that if you're not engaging in that immorality, you're somehow missing out. No, this debauchery, this excess was decaying and destroying the Corinthians, not building them up. It's not liberty, it's enslavement. Well, you just act like a Puritan then. I don't have a problem with the Puritans. I don't have a problem with being a fundamentalist when it comes to the truths of the Bible. Because we like to think in our mind that the culture that we've attained 
in the United States, that we are at the culmination. The Bible is telling us that we are actually backsliding. We are getting worse, not better. Well, we're freer than ever. We're freeing homosexual relationships. They can finally be who they want to be without judgment. We're freeing people that are transgender. They're, they're enslaved to their own bodies. These, this is lies. They're all, it's propaganda, and they feel that if they can just put it in enough movies, give you enough exposure, put it in enough magazines, have enough politicians talking about it, enough businesses talking about it, that we all just believe that's the truth. And that's not. And we're causing people to be hurt. And what makes me infuriated, why I'm so passionate about it, is because we are, exper- ex- we are experimenting as a culture on our most innocent, which is our children. I've had, that's, I've had enough of that. It's one thing for someone to live in excess as a grown adult. That's another thing for you to impose it on our youth. Paul is not done here speaking to Corinthians about how they should not live this way. Stop putting yourself under enslavement. In verses 13 and 14, he said, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and, the, and will also raise us up by his power. What is he talking about here? Because if you've been around me, if, you're, if you've, been, you've heard me quote this verse, food for the, for the belly, food for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both the, it and them. That's when I'm off my diet. I use those ones. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not what goes in a man's mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of a man's mouth. But that's not what the context is. What's the context here? That if you eat food, whatever food you want to eat, you want to be vegan, go ahead, be vegan. You want to be a meat eater? You want to you know, eat raw liver? Apparently, that's a new thing right now. Hey, go ahead. It doesn't make you more or less holy. But Paul is saying here, your sexual appetite, that doesn't work the same way. You, you can't just be like, well, this is just how I am. I just need to have five wives because that's how I'm built. I just need to be polyamorous. I just need to be dating whatever. No, no. He's saying that is absolutely not correct. God made man in his image, and he created him for a purpose. He made Adam and Eve for marriage between one man and one woman to repopulate the earth. That was the goal. Mission accomplished. He built us well. But our fallen nature leaves us to use it to excess. The Corinthians are far more like Americans than we think. Why can't we? You know, I'm hungry, I eat something. I'm not defiled. Put yourself in the Corinthian shoes. They're just walking down Main Street. Here comes the temple temple prostitute saying, hey, just come put your money here. I'll make you a better person. Better things will happen for you, and you can sneak in with me. All right, why not? Many people at that time, multiple marriages. Many people at that time had relationships outside of marriage it's a roman saying that every male should have three women one to be married to take care of their kids one for fun and then one to take care of the household all lies all lies historical don't blame me that's what they say (laughs) but you see those things coming back you see these things nothing is new under the sun it just continues to get recycled 
over and over and over again. And then in America, we will do the same thing in our culture. Oh, you know, if it's the young boys, that's all right. But the women, we want the girls to stay pure. They should all stay pure. They should all be holding themselves for marriage. We should be teaching about purity. I like what Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary. He said, sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he'll pay for it one day. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There's safety, security, and he will collect dividends. Sex within marriage can be build a relationship that brings joys in the future. But sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships, as every Christian marriage counselor will tell you. You're thinking about that other person, comparing experiences, always wondering where that other person is. The Bible is very clear about this. Because the Bible was written in a context where that was happening all the time. You just went down there and took care of things like you were going to a buffet. No, our sinful appetite should never captivate us. Any sinful appetite. You know, we like to pick on certain things because of the culture war. And we're like, yeah. And then it comes home and we're like, oh, wait a minute, that hurt. I don't, I don't like this anymore. Yeah, self-control. And Men and women alike in this culture, you can hide it in your closet. You can hide it on your phone more than ever before. And nobody will know except God, except the one who gave his life to free you from that. And you're like, well, you know, I have to because, and then you just fill in the blank with your excuses. No, no. And then what do we see today? The world will call out our hypocrisy more than ever before, and I'm grateful for it. Because when you have uh, a pastor, when you have a, a leader talking about purity, preaching purity, teaching about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of the home, and then you find out that secretly at home they were into child pedophilia and now they're arrested for 20 years, put them in jail. should be worse. What a hypocrite. And it's a stain on all of us. When the pastor falls who's teaching about purity and then he's caught in an adulterous relationship with a minor in the church and people are like, well, can he still be a pastor? Still be a pastor? How can he still have his freedom? How can he not be in jail? Forget being a pastor. That's, that argument's over. I will tell you in this fellowship, it is written in the bylaws that if the pastor is found in adultery or sexual sin, he is immediately removed from being the senior pastor. That's how our bylaws are written. That's different for other Calvary chapels. I don't care. That's how we do things here. Why? Because I am a sinful man, and I have to know in my mind that it's the end of everything if I decide to touch or look at or get a part of any of that. Because I can't have a safety net. Why? Because if I found out I could eat cheeseburgers with no consequences, how many do you think I would eat? <laughs> Simple. We cannot follow our own impulses and desires. And that's, that's the thing about the fallen nature. You can't smoke enough cigarettes. How many until you're satisfied? You can't drink enough booze. How much alcohol do you need to you're like, that was good right there. I, I'm not going to drink anymore. I made it. Fill in any appetite. Vengeance. How much vengeance do you need? Not enough. All, you can fill in the blank. You know, somebody cuts you off, you don't want to just cut them off, do you? 
Oh, you want to burn their house down. <laughs> Just me? I'm the only one? <laughs> no. The, our fallen nature never leads to growth, never leads to more discipline. It never leads to satisfaction. When you eat to excess, drink to excess, smoke to excess, how much marijuana till you're healed? We're going to prescribe that now. Great. How much till you're healed? Never going to happen. How much Vicodin? Never going to happen. You're just going to keep popping those pills, and you're going to need more and more and more and more. Jesus is the only thing that the more you get, the better off you are. The Word of God is the only thing that the more you get, the better off you are. Discipline, strength, humanity, love. The more you get, the better off you are. Everything else, well, that's just natural. That's just who I am. Well, that's why we have to have that key foundation. Yes, you're naturally in a fallen state, and we do not want to stay there. Now, let's read verses 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Could you imagine? Paul is telling them, yeah, you go and you sleep with another woman. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're a believer. You go sleep with another man, and you're connecting Christ to this. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, these things that maybe you're convicted of, can I play it on the screen right here? Can I put your browser up here on the screen in front of everyone right now? Oh, no way. We, I see the eyes going wide. What about your thoughts? Can I play your thoughts up here? But if you won't put it here in front of the Lord, why do you live that way? You're an ambassador for Christ. He has set you free. He who has set you free has set you free indeed. Why, w- why would you go back to it? And we say it's secret. Well, it's okay. I can get away with it. And what are we concerned about with our secret sins? What will it do to me if I get caught? And that's what you weigh out. What will it do to the fellowship? What will it do to your family? What will it do to your community? What will it do to your nation? Because let's pick on the gentleman here. 55%, according to a recent poll of men in the Christian church, use Internet pornography. 55%. So we can go out there and we can say, oh, yeah, we're against it. But then when they look at the browser history and they look at how many clicks are on those, they go, oh, my gosh, we got 20 million clicks on this. Obviously, it's okay. And so then we want to go to the the courts and we want to be like, yeah, we want to ban Internet pornography. No, y'all don't. I'm looking at it right here. (laughs) And they're not going to vote against that. Every time you click, you vote. Every time you look. You vote. Every time you buy, you vote. The United States is not its laws. It's the people. Because the people are the ones that make the decisions. The people are the ones that choose to buy and purchase and save and work or stay home and not work. The people are the ones that decide to riot in the streets or to encourage the police. We are the people. The people decide which laws to enforce. We say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, listen, so is the church especially the church. The church is not what's taught on Sunday morning. The church is what's written on your heart, filled with the Holy Spirit, going out into the world and preaching the gospel. 
It's you. When you have the discipline to resist and to say, no, Christ died for me. I'm going to have a battle line here, not back there. My battle line is here. If we want to call out hypocrisy, there is no place as a pastor I see more hypocrisy, I may be exaggerating a bit, than here. We talk about marriage. The bride wears a white gown to symbolize purity. Sexual purity, that's what it's supposed to represent. We have rings that are to represent eternal love without end. And then we say, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part, or I get bored. Or there's another one better. Or I fall out of love with you. Because I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Instead, marriage is a sacred bond between man and woman in front of God forever until death do you part. No exceptions. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, is family important to us? Is marriage important to us? Purity is not just about sexual restraint. It's about family and church and community and our nation. You see, I spoke earlier about eroding the foundations. If we don't have a biblical understanding of the fall, of our nature, of biblical truth and redemption, we have no defense against the culture that is teaching us that all those things are wrong. But if we think for a moment that this is just about whether or not you can do something you think is fun or not, we are mistaken. Because right now, in my opinion, in my opinion, the church is reaping what it's sowing in the United States, and our hypocrisy is being called out. And I say, good, good, this is great. Because the word of God will not return void. We are not going to lose because Christ cannot lose. He is victorious. The word of God continues to redeem us. We can continue to repent and turn to him. He will change our ways. The Bible says in the Old Testament, he will take the stony heart from within you and he will give you a heart of flesh. That if you are convicted today and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't understand where I was, but I'm not in a good place. Number one, I don't know. Okay, it's okay. You're a human being. But two, Jesus knows, and he wants to walk this with you. You could be convicted about anything. Rage, anger, depression, drugs, pharmacia, sexual impurities, different lines of thought. Just come to the Father and give yourself to him. It's not just about you. See, in Romans chapter 12, Paul would tell the Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't that cool, though, that it says that we need to have our minds renewed? Why do we have to have our minds renewed? Because we have a fallen nature. We're going to continue to slide. We're going to continue to make mistakes, but the Lord is going to continue to encourage us. This is a struggle that we need to struggle with. We have the liberty of the grace of the gospel. We have the liberty of God to resist sin and the devil. It takes strength, but that strength comes from Christ. Because he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
There is no strength within ourselves. That is the freedom that we have. Not the freedom to enslave ourselves once again. No, but we have the freedom to say no and not have our salvation on the line. Let's read verses 18 and 20, and then I have a a, a story for you. Flee sexual immorality. Sometimes the only option you have is to run. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a, at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What did Paul do with his liberty? See, Paul knew that he was no longer under the law. He didn't have to be a very religious Jew anymore. He said in Philippians 1.20, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he proved it over and over again. What do we do with this freedom? I'm going to tell you a story about some men that are buried over there in Beaufort, the 53rd Maine, or Maine, I'm sorry, 53rd Massachusetts Remnant, 54th. Massachusetts remnant. That's why I have notes, so I can't remember. <laughs> they, took oper- they took part in operations in Charleston, including the Battle of Grimbles, landing on July 16, 1863, and more famously, Fort Wagner, July 18, 1863, when they charged Fort Wagner against the Confederate ramparts. It was a colored battalion, a colored regiment, the second one ever in the United States history. Many of those men were freed slaves, They had their freedom. They could have gone anywhere. They could have gone to Canada. They could have stayed in New York. The the United States Army didn't want them. They had to fight for the opportunity to lay down their lives and die for others. Why? You're free. You can go wherever you want. Colonel Robert G. Shaw, white guy, son of abolitionists, didn't have to join the Union Army, definitely didn't have to be the colonel leading a regiment that everybody hated. But they decided they were going to take their liberty to stand up for what is right. Not only that, the United States Army paid their Union soldier $10 a month. By the time the colored regiment made its way down to Charleston, South Carolina, they found out they were going to be paid $7 a month. They were going to deduct $3 a month for their uniforms. What did they decide to do? They weren't going to get paid. They said they would not take payment until they were paid equally as a regular white Union soldier. Did they riot in the streets? Did they throw down their weapons and stop because of the racism? Absolutely not. They held the line together. When they fought against Fort Wagner, they lost 20 men. 125 were wounded and 102 were missing. They were presumed dead. 40% of the entire unit was wiped out. They're known for taking the stars and stripes up the ramparts, almost victorious until they were almost wiped out. Colonel Shaw gave his life leading that charge, and he was buried with the soldiers. It was considered an insult from the Confederacy to bury a white man with the black soldiers. At that time when Union soldiers were killed, they were given back to their presumptive armies, but they wouldn't give back black soldiers. So they wouldn't give back Colonel Shaw, and he was buried with his men. They didn't have to do that. There was something greater. Listen, 
We don't have to use the liberty of Christ to serve Christ. You don't have to. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to resist the devil. You don't have to do any of those things. He bought you with a price. But you can choose this day whom you will serve, just like Joshua told the nation of Israel. You can choose to use your liberty. Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. He said, I was given my life. I am now giving it back. In Romans 12, we just said we are to be a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Therefore, Peter would say to the church, and this is what I share with you, the church today, therefore, gird up your loins. That means pull up your pants, tighten them. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. A few more verses, 17. And if you call on the Father who, without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. (coughs) To be holy means to be separated, separated from God, not conformed to this world, but conforming more and more to the image of the Lord as he, He works in us. Let's pray. Lord, Excuse me, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. I thank you specifically that your word never returns void. I thank you that it never changes. It's always true. It is a compass, a strong tower, a light unto our feet. To show us, Lord, in unstable times, it's our sure foundation of which you are the chief cornerstone. I pray that you would equip us, and I pray for victory here this morning, Lord, that battle lines would be drawn and that you would lead the way, that there would be things that people are struggling with today, Lord, that you would walk with them hand in hand and give them victory in the name of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.